uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Mother, you should see what I'm getting for his birthday. It's a, a genuine Zuni fetish doll. I found it in a curio shop on 3rd Avenue. It's a Zuni hunting fetish. It's really interesting. There's supposed to be some Zuni hunter's spirit inside of it. And um, there's a golden chain wrapped around it to keep the spirit from making the doll come to life. Come to life. It says... Should the chain be removed, spirit and Dao will become one living. Well, that's what it says. fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're going to go back in the way back machine back to the 70s where they would have a uh, plethora of movies of the week. These would usually come out uh, on a Friday night or maybe a Tuesday night. And uh, they were uh, the most famous, I think, would have been the, the Night Stalker that became a series. But for the most part, these were just standalone stories, uh, movies, if you will. And straight away, we're going to kick it up to the satellite. Karen, take it away. All right, buddy. Um, yeah, you really, you got to be of a certain age <laughs> to appreciate, uh, movies of the week. I think if you told most kids, yeah, we watched the movie of the week, they'd be like, movie of the week. What are you talking about? Yeah. What did you stream uh, that on? Yeah. You know, how do I, <laughs> what is that on Netflix? What are you talking about? Um, but I, I gotta say, so I gotta give some credit here. I was listening to, uh, monster kid radio and Derek cook and one of his guests were talking about, the Norlis tapes. I don't mm. know if either of you guys have ever seen this movie of the week. Um, I have not. I've heard of it, but yeah, it's what it's one of those I don't think comes on too often. I, I know I saw it when I was a kid, and then I saw it a few years ago. It's super creepy, and it's kind of like the Night Stalker because um, the guy is uh, it's Roy Thinnis who was in the Invaders. Mm-hmm. 
and he's a reporter and he gets caught up in all this supernatural stuff. And those guys were talking about it and I was enjoying it so much. And I was thinking, yeah, there were so many great TV movies that we saw as kids, especially in the seventies, you know, it seemed like, uh, I don't know if it was coming off of sort of the, um, there was so much stuff like the exorcist and a lot of devil stuff going on, witchcraft in the seventies. There was a real focus on that, but it seemed like there was all this creepy stuff in in the seventies, stuff that a lot of times really freaked me out and I was afraid (laughs) to watch. Um, but I thought it would be a great subject for us. We probably, there's too much for us to really cover in one episode, but we can at least talk about some of the things that made a real, uh, a real impact on us as kids. True. True. And, and that's where we are, uh, today. So thank you, uh, listeners for joining us. And, um, let's go ahead and throw it over to our chief engineer, uh, Bob and researching for this, uh, podcast uh, what, one of the, what was one of the uh, films that you uh, checked out well I'm actually going to talk about a trilogy mm. two, two of the three I've seen and I'll explain that in a bit <laughs> but I mean just kind of going back and thinking about TV movies I mean there were some I mean you know people say okay they're direct to TV like they think of direct to video you know so I was like oh that's probably some cheap movie um not the case. Not yeah. all the case sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, straying from our genres, I mean, TV movies, big TV movies like, you know, Brian's Song was a TV movie. Um, Rich the, Man, ooh, Poor Man. The Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta sure. was a TV movie. Uh, Whatever Happened to Rosemary's Baby was mm-hmm. a uh, TV movie. And uh, so there were actually like some really good roots Fantasy uh, Island yeah. was a TV movie yeah. before it became. Well, a, a lot of uh, a lot of TV shows sprang from the TV movies. Six Million Dollar Man had a TV movie. That's right. Quote pilot. Mm. Hawaii Five O had one. Um, quite a few, you know. And even when uh, TV shows would go off the air, they'd sometimes come back as TV movies. Hence, Return to Gilligan's Island or <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, but. I digress. I'm not talking about those. Oh, but, uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> I, I thought that's where you were going with this. Well, even Six Million Dollar Man, right? They had, uh, there was like two they or had three. a couple of TV movies where uh, where he and Jamie Summers would team up. They had the bionic dog. They had a son, right. all this other stuff. Didn't, and, uh, didn't they even have like a couple of Six Million Dollar Man TV movies before he got his series? Yeah. Yes, yeah. they did. I, I want to say at least two, maybe three but yeah definitely and, and it wasn't the theme song that we all know and love it was they tried to do like a kind of a James Bond kind yeah he of was a, very much a Bond type spy right but also you know we've talked about these before mm-hmm. you know Night Stalker and the Night Strangler were both right. TV show to be TV movies before right the series so um, and sometimes these TV movies would be like totally different or slightly different from what the show would turn out to be but, um, yeah, I mean, and look at, you know, I haven't got to my movies yet, but look at all of them. <laughs> I was like, <clears throat> I was having dinner with Lieutenant Debbie last night and, you know, she didn't remember them. And I had to tell, say, well, yeah, there were a bunch of Marvel TV movies. Yeah. There were two TV movies with Reb Brown as Captain America. Mm-hmm. Remember that? He had the yeah. motorcycle helmet and the clear shield. The plastic and, shield. Yeah. 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 And, uh, 
even Incredible Hulk, you know, when it went off the air. Doctor had, Strange. Yeah, they had Doctor Strange. They had uh, Thor. Uh, they had Thor Daredevil. Part, I, I thought they were guest stars on the Hulk. No, no, those were like, they did a series of Incredible Hulk TV movies, and each one would have a different Marvel character in it. Yeah. And right. one was Doctor Strange, one, one was, was Thor, Daredevil. one was Daredevil. That was like the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And uh, I think there was an Iron Man, too, or Iron Man might have been like a, a sub-character in one of these other ones. But uh, if you look, I, somebody did a uh, modern-day Avengers um, trailer, but using scenes from all those old Marvel TV movies, and they show Iron Man and everything, and it's just a crack-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Hammond is Spider-Man. That was... Uh, yeah, I remember. They had an initial TV movie, and then it went into uh, into a TV series. And that's one you don't really see anymore. I mean, MeTV shows uh, The Incredible Hulk, but nobody shows Spider-Man. He had a whole series. It's that the, woman that owns the rights to... With a white belt. Teenage werewolf owns that, too. <laughs> oh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> with a white belt and the web shooter outside, you know, on his wrist and things. But, yeah, I mean... There were so many, because even I think it was ABC or another channel used to have a weekly made-for-TV movie. And so there were a ton of them out there. Yeah. But, ABC had a movie of the week. Yeah. From they, I looked it up from 69 to 75. Wow. And were they TV movies every week or did they mix them up with like... No, I, I think it was uh, made-for-TV. So yeah, let's uh, let's hear it for Made for TV. And they had some you know great stuff, which we'll talk about today. But um, the three that I wanted to cover, and the reason they're three is because they're all kind of interconnected, is uh, back in between '77 and '80, Rankin Bass, the company that was uh, responsible for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town and the Little Drummer Boy and all that. They teamed up with Subaraya Productions, who was uh, basically the ones that made Ultraman and all those TV shows, to make three movies, direct to TV. The first one was actually supposed to be a theatrical film, but they couldn't find a distributor, so it wound up as a TV movie. Mm. Uh, the first one is The Last Dinosaur in 1977. With a drunken Richard Boone. <laughs> I, I remember that. And uh, Joan Van Ark. And uh, yeah, and so they had, you know, a giant T-Rex. They had a, a Triceratops and they had another dinosaur all, all created with the magic of Supemation by uh, Subaraya Productions. Hmm. This was probably around the time that they were doing like Ultraman Leo and Ultraman 80. So the effects are kind of in that realm. But, you know, they were, they were pretty good. In fact, uh, my friend Brad Warner worked at Subaraya Productions for a while, and he would look up things, you know, try to find information behind these movies. And uh, he actually found a rock and roll magazine from 1977 with Kiss, and they're uh, posing with the T Rex from Last Dinosaur. Oh wow! And uh, so that was pretty cool. But then uh, then super, they took the the T Rex costume and used it in a TV show they were doing called Eisenborg. So you know. They get they get well used, but you know the movie again. It was supposed to be theatrical. In Rankin Bass, their previous theatrical film, they teamed up with Toho to do King Kong Escapes. That one actually made it to theaters. Uh, this one again, direct to TV, but it had a little bigger budget since it was originally intended to be theatrical. 
And, uh, you know, it's basically covers uh, you, this guy comes back from an expedition and his whole crew, he's the only survivor because they were all killed by this T-Rex. So this other guy uh, who's like the most uh, powerful, richest man alive decides he's going to lead the expedition to go back and find this T-Rex and find proof that he exists, whereas really he just wants to go hunt it. <laughs> but they get in this big drill called the Polar Borer, and they bore their way through the, uh, through the uh, polar ice caps and come up into this land, which uh, is pretty kind of cool because on the surface it's all lush jungles, but all the hills are glaciers, and uh, there's you know, pterodactyl flying around and they, of course, encounter the, the T-Rex. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool movie. I think Warner Archives has it on their, on their burn-to-order DVDs. Um, I have the Japanese Subaraya Productions release, which has a bunch of extras on it, which are pretty cool. Behind-the-scenes shots and storyboards and things. The original one, they cut it from 106 minutes down to about 98 to fit it into the movie of the week TV movie format with commercials but then when it came out on DVDs they uh, put it back to the 106 minutes they put all the extra scenes back in uh, the next year 1978 was the Bermuda Depths now the Bermuda Depths was uh, known because it has Burl Ives in there oh wow a Rankin Bass staple yeah yeah and also Connie Selica. Connie Selica, who played Ralph's wife in The Greatest American Hero, <laughs> and she's the main character's imaginary girlfriend, or is she? Uh, it also involves a giant turtle in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. That uh, Does this turtle fly? No, but he does jump out of the water and knock Burl Ives' helicopter oh, out of the sky. Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's this kid goes back to where he grew up, which happened to be in the Bermuda Triangle or near the Bermuda Triangle, uh, to kind of find his find his roots and things. And he he meets this girl who who was this girl he played with as a kid, and now she's grown up. But you know, everyone in the movie says, "No, no, you had a ma- you had an imaginary friend back then." So it's probably you're still imagining this thing. So. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's, you know, like I say, it's a, if you're just going to watch it for the giant turtle, you got a long wait <laughs> to get to the turtle scenes at the end. But uh, it's very cool. And then the last, the third one is called The Ivory Ape. And that was done in 1980 and lost for all eternity because no one can seem to find it. And uh, hmm. in fact, my buddy Brad, who was working at Subaraya, made it a point to look for that movie. And it was like nowhere to be found. And it's basically about an ex- an expedition that goes out to find this rare white ape. And uh, I have to give big props to Kyle Bird, who does the Kaiju Transmissions podcast, for getting me a copy of it, mm. sending me a link to it. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to watch it before this podcast, but I'm definitely going to sit down and watch it maybe uh, later in the weekend or something. But, um, but yeah, anytime you can combine... Rankin Bass and their whole <laughs> history of entertainment with Subaraya Productions and my love of Ultraman. I mean, that's really where it's at. But, you know, you think about Rankin Bass, so even going back, and most people don't know this, but even going back to Rudolph and Little Drummer Boy and all those animated things, they were basically working with 
companies in Japan. Those were all Japanese technicians that did all that stop motion and did all the effects and all that. Um, Rank and Bass would just record the voices and add the songs and what have you. Um, huh. Jules Bass, in fact, wrote lyrics to a lot of the songs. But um, yeah, so they had a long line. Even some of their animated stuff, they worked with Toei in Japan. So Rankin Bass didn't produce a lot over here, but they'd uh, source it out to Japan and and uh, do their part here and combine it. So for them to team up with Toho or to team up with Subaraya wasn't a big stretch. They already had the contacts. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely three movies if you can find them. I know Last Dinosaur and Bermuda Depths are both available through Warner Archives. And uh, The Ivory Ape, well, you have to go on the great hunt. <laughs> <laughs> try to try to find it. Hunt for the ivory ape. That's right. Very cool. So, Karen, in in researching for this episode, what what little gems did you come across? Hmm, gems. Well, I had a lot of different thoughts. Uh, you know, there were some really great scary movies. Uh, there were some really cool sci-fi movies. And like Bob said, there was, you know, some of the superhero stuff. One of the things I was remembering was, uh, do you guys remember before the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, there was the Kathy Lee Crosby oh, Wonder yeah. Woman. Yes. The blonde Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. Kind of bizarre to look back on that now with a completely different costume and everything. Um, there's there's just so many uh interesting, unique, strange ideas in these movies, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, one of the things I was looking at was um, because of the Star Trek interest, some of the, the movies that Gene Roddenberry made. Oh, yes. Po- post Star Trek. And there were quite a few, so I'm not going to go through all of them. But uh, I did sit down and look at Genesis 2, which was from 1973, and I believe the first of of several films he did. The interesting thing about this is, while Star Trek was very utopian in outlook, this was very dystopian in outlook. A guy, uh, the scientist Dylan Hunt, is uh, in the uh, future of 1979, and... He's part of a a team trying to find ways to um, make space safe for astronauts and allow them to go into suspended animation and so forth. So, of course, he's doing experiments on himself in this underground uh, base in Carlsbad Cavern. And anyway, there's some sort of earthquake or whatever, and he gets trapped while he's in suspended animation and then flash forward to like 2133 and he gets discovered by these people who are living there now and this whole story moves on and it's it's hard to watch now (laughs) it's really hard to watch the actor who plays the main character uh his Alex Cord, he looks like he's straight out of a 70s porn film with the porn mustache (laughs) and everything Um, how would you know about that (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not going to say how, but I know a little <laughs> bit about this. Anyway, um, it's just got all the like negative things about Roddenberry, his obsession with like pervy sex stuff. And uh, the, the there's an evil group of people. There's a good group of people living under the in the cave trying to restore humanity. And then there's this evil group of people called the Tyrannians. 
with a name like that, they've got to be evil. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, their mutants. Their main mutation seems to be they have two belly buttons. Um, <laughs> you know, Marriott Hartley is there. And, of course, they've got to show, show her two navels. Um, <laughs> but they have these devices called stims, which can induce pain or pleasure in people. Um, there's a lot of stuff that feels like it's borrowed from Star Trek, uh, but not in a good way. <laughs> and so, I don't know. It, but, it, you know, it's it felt very 70s. So in some sense, it was fun to watch because it was just so 70s. But going back and watching it, it was like, oh, this is like all of like Roddenberry's uh, bad habits. So, But the thing that's really remarkable about this is he tried this not once, but at least twice. And then another group of movie makers tried it a third time. So... So they didn't pick this up. He wanted it to be a pilot. They didn't pick it up. So he tried the next year, and he called it Planet Earth, and he recast it with John Saxon, who has been in a lot of things, but has particularly Enter the Dragon. Mm. And they basically retold the same story, and they still didn't pick it up. And so then another group of people from the same studio, I guess they – Basically, they had the rights to the concept. They redid it the next year in 75 and called it Strange New World and kept John Saxon. Still nobody picked it up. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what to tell you about it. It was like he went from, you know, the Star Trek future of happiness to this nasty future where we had a nuclear war (laughs) and, you know, people are running around with two belly buttons and steam rods. Spock is sad. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to take a look at if you've got, you know, 90 minutes you want to kill for no particular reason. If you have 90 <laughs> minutes that you don't need or don't want. That you ever want back. That you <laughs> might you regret just, giving up. You could go on YouTube and just, you know, get the highlights, I suppose. Well, Karen um, gets the Planet 8 accommodation of valor for going through that ordeal. Yeah, you know, it's it's amusing on one level. Um, I But my winner, so that's my kind of not winner. My winner, though, is uh, I think one that we all enjoyed, uh, Gargoyles. Not the cartoon, the movie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. So, 1972, I know I saw it as a, a youngin, creeped out by it. Um you know, it's one of those ones where uh, you could, you know, if you didn't grow up with it, I'm sure you'd have a very critical eye to it and say, oh, the wings on the gargoyles look fake and blah, 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 whatever, whatever, kids. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's an awesome film. Uh, I mean, I think it really holds up last time I looked at it. The You know, the makeup on the lead gargoyle, which was played by Bernie Casey, is still fantastic. Oh, and yes. I, I, in the reading, I found out that Stan Winston did it. So, of mm-hmm. course, it's great, right? Absolutely. Um, and then I did a little more research on it. Um, one of the things that was interesting was that uh, Vic Perrin, so we know Vic Perrin as the control voice from Outer Limits, amongst other things, mm-hmm. did that Diana voice. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. For the gargoyle, and they've got that weird sort of snare drum vibrating effect on his voice. Yeah, yeah, very uh, distinguished, not distinguished, but noticeable uh, voice. Yeah, uh, so so that was uh, 
that was interesting. And then once you read that, it's like you can't help but notice. It's like, oh, yeah, that is Vic <laughs> Perrin, of course. You know, he did the uh, Control Voice, the Metron in Star Trek. Uh, the list goes on. So uh, that was that was kind of fascinating. And uh, also a young Scott Glenn, actor Scott Glenn, and mm. fairly well known. He was in it, too, as kind of a bad boy motorcycle rider um, who winds up kind of helping to fight the gargoyles in the end. But uh, I mean, I know for me as a kid watching this, it was it was super creepy. And there's a, a lot of scenes that were really effective, especially there's one where the uh, professor and his daughter are in like this small motel, this rickety motel and the gargoyles start like pounding away on it and set night. And, uh, you know, they they had a way with those 70s movies, I think, because they didn't have a big budget. They had to evoke emotions uh, through other means than just, you know, special effects. So they managed to manipulate you through uh, mood and camera uh, angles and lighting and things like that. And, and acting, of course. Yeah. But... Uh, Thing, when they things were like, that happen off screen. Right. That your imagination had to be used, right? So you're imagining like, well, what's how many gargoyles are outside the, you know, the room and what's what are they doing? How are they going to get in? And, you know, it was it was creepy stuff. And I think sometimes I, I my memory now imagines things that didn't actually happen in the movie. And then I go back and watch the movie and I'm like, oh, that's not how it happened. Okay. Huh. I, I didn't know that. So, yeah, <laughs> I have it on DVD and I did watch it fairly recently. And uh, yeah, I thought it still held up really well. I thought the makeup, you know, say what you will about the wings, but I think the makeup was excellent. You know, it's still creepy even today. Uh, Story-wise too. I mean, if, if you were to take uh, Night of the Lepus, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders or The Devil's Reign and put in gargoyles i i would much rather have seen gargoyles on the big screen nothing against oh, yeah. mr shatner or mr travolta uh, let alone ernest borgnine but those are movies for another podcast but i i think it's a, a great movie in general not just movie of the week yeah it's, i think it's got a it's got a good solid story the actors are not uh phoning it in they seem like they're really there and you know it's it's enjoyable i i mean i got the dvd so i i like it that much ditto i have the dvd yeah. as well oh, yeah i own it yeah and no, i always enjoyed it since yeah, i saw it when it was first on tv as a tv movie and uh, just loved it ever since very uh very good choice i'll say there's one that i don't remember very well but it made a huge impact on me and i haven't seen it since i kind of would like to uh, is Frankenstein the true story? Ah, uh, mm, Dolly. Yes. And uh, I know I saw this. I, I had to look up the year. So it was 73. It and, was, uh, as far as I can remember, it was pretty close to the original novel. Closer than yeah. most of the other movies before it. I think that's the way they're kind of promoting it. Like, oh, this is, this is you know, going to be like the novel. Although I think it... it took a lot of liberties too but I, I remember my mom wanted to watch it so it was on and I was kind of half paying attention because there weren't a lot of like monster things happening so I wasn't paying complete <laughs> attention but there was one scene where the monster walks into like this dance mm -hmm. and rips this woman's head off and yeah. I totally freaked out 
And that's so, about the only thing I remember from that film, but I'd now, like to see it again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was a two-parter, wasn't it? Like it was on uh, yeah, two nights or something? Was. It was pretty long. I think it was like a movie event. And I may be confusing my Frankenstein uh, stories here, but wasn't there also like a uh, a jar of like eyeballs bubbling in, in water or a brain or something? Do you guys recall that? Well, that could be almost any Hammer film. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm I'm mixing it up. Anyway, but yeah, Hammer films. Though, you'd have to accidentally knock it on the floor and see the brain splatter. <laughs> and everything, yeah, so. squish it around a little. You know, so. at some point we'll have to talk about Young Frankenstein. That Abby Normal always comes to mind. But uh, I, I digress. Uh, but no, yeah, I know Frankenstein's true story. Yeah, it was one of my favorite Frankensteins of the time. I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, I do remember the whole Polly Dolly thing, though. I, uh, I didn't have a chance to finish watching this, but good friend of Planet 8, uh, Jay, he does the artwork for... Most of our shirts and signs and uh, and, and whatnot. Um, he was telling me about a movie of the week uh, before we even talked about doing a podcast with um, Peter Graves from um, Mission Impossible fame. And it was called Where Have All the People Gone? Oh, yeah. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's the creepiest thing. They, they go camping and they come out of their, you know, tent or whatever. And everybody's disappeared or they've turned to dust. So I thought it was like an apocalyptic, you know, uh, uh, not resurrection, the uh, end of times, uh, biblical thing. But uh, I, like I said, I didn't get to finish it, but it, it's very interesting. I mean, Peter Graves has some screen presence uh and it came through on on this uh, this movie. So well, he's got that voice too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this amazing kind of baritone voice. That- mm-hmm. So honorable mention. I, I I do want to go back and finish watching that. But and getting back to Bob's uh, Bionic Man, uh, there were two pilots: the Bionic Man and then Pilot Error. Oh yeah. yeah. And then they finally uh, committed to a series. Uh, thankfully, because I loved and still love Six Million Dollar well, Man. Well, the uh, the original. Have you read the original novel, Cyborg? No, by I Martin Caden. Yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, he. It's more like the TV movies mm. where Colonel Austin, when he's all bionicked out, they send him on missions, and he's more like a James Bond type yeah. character and a spy, and and he goes on spy missions and things. Um, not, you know, they toned all that down. He was just, you know, an astronaut doing whatever in this TV show. But, yeah. uh, you know, even when he fought Bigfoot, right? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that, that's gold to me, uh, television. Hey, once Lee Majors grew the mustache, it was all over. That was it. <laughs> he didn't keep yep. it for that long, but. Porn stuff. You know that, you know that, yeah. <laughs> you know that Lee Majors, like, designed all his clothes that he wore in that series? Did he really? Yeah. Interesting. He always had a lack of buttons, though. <laughs> what was that, Walker? Oh, he's he's multi talented. Yeah, yeah. There you go. He <laughs> and he was married to Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett Majors. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. he had it going. He had it going. Yeah, he back did. In there. We'll have to do a Lee Majors cast. Uh, <laughs> uh, yours truly got to watch Salem's Lot. Now I hadn't watched Salem's Lot in. Many, many moons. Oh, yeah. And when I was a kid, I remember just getting the living 
daylight scared out of me. I closing yep. my eyes, putting the pillow over my head. And um, as a somewhat uh, older, wiser man, uh, it, it, it and and I, I got read the riot act from Bob and Karen when I told them what I thought. First forty five minutes were kind of slow to me. Um, uh, Larry's attention span is shortened yeah. as the years go on. <laughs> Too much Batman versus Superman rotted my brain, apparently. Um, no, spoiler alert on all this stuff. Hopefully, you guys have seen it. If you haven't, turn it off uh, the podcast, watch them, and come back. These are like 40 years old. I come know, on. but you know, we got some 12, 15 year old kids who listen to the podcast. We're hip. <laughs> anyway, so Salem's Lot, it's one of the first vampire stories um, that I remember watching. Um, I, I want to say I saw this before Dracula. Well, that was also based on Stephen King, wasn't it? It was a Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, it's yeah. A Stephen. Okay. yeah. The book is really good. Yeah, I, I haven't read the book, but the effects actually for the time, you know, this is pre-CGI and all that stuff. Um, were pretty good. Well, they were kind of more like in the Nosferatu uh, Very style. much so the Nosferatu style. Um, you know, the, these kids. And I was thinking it's not very often, you know, I'm thinking of like more modern zombie films where you see children becoming zombies or monsters. Um, this was early on where the kids became vampires and vicious little mofos too. Oh, there's a scene in there where... Uh, the one kid's in his room. Yeah. And he's making Aurora monster kits. Yep. Like building Aurora monster kits. And the other kid comes floating outside his window. And that hit me because that was basically, he was me. That was me. <laughs> I'd be sitting in a room when I was a kid building these Aurora monster kits. And yeah, just to see the, the other guy come floating outside the window and wanting him to come join him. And yeah, it was that freaked me out. It was incredibly creepy. It was, and this was directed by Tobe Hooper. It was one of his early works. Yeah. So David Soul was in it. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, when the kids, for me, 40, 45 minutes into the picture, uh, they, they set a lot of things up. So I, and I'm not poo-pooing the, the Salem's Lot by any shot of the imagination. They set a lot of things up. And once the kids become vampires, then it really takes off. And like... You know, half the town, if not the whole town, takes off. At one point, the sheriff realizes that there's no hope, so he packs up his family and leaves uh, town. Um, anyway, it, one of the things that I really liked about this is it it starts off, and and a lot of movies do this now too, but not so much back then. It starts off with the end of the film. It's yeah. David Soul and the kid in the yeah. church in Guadalajara somewhere. And they flashback. Getting the, the holy water together. Yeah. Right. And then the end of the movie, you get about 10, 15 minutes of, of narrative um, of them carrying on with that holy water and what they were doing. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I want to say that one, too. Like like uh, Frankenstein, the true story was like a two-nighter or something because it's yeah. it's three it's, hours long yeah, so yeah. i, I so, want to say so, it was two it was. or three nights yeah, yeah two nights i think and yeah because yeah when you watch it it's like really long but yeah it yeah. moves though i thought you know i watched it recently i bought the dvd and i was watching it and uh i thoroughly enjoyed it even the first 45 beginning Bravo. to end i enjoyed it i yeah i like i said it's, it's not bad it's just the first 45 minutes to me were kind of i think stephen king does a good job of capturing <laughs> Like our youths as monster kids and just 
just a lot of his novels, even it and others, uh, Stand by Me. I mean, he has a really good sense of writing for kids mm-hmm. and writing, you know, the kind of the growing up, coming of age type kid stories, blanketed in horror and right. everything else. But. That was a very nice touch. I mean, they had the Don Post masks in his room and the Lon Chaney yeah. uh, Jr. poster of the Wolfman. It was a huge poster, too. Um, Karen, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, did your brother Steve watch this for you, with you when it first came out, or did, did you go into this solo? Oh, this was, no, this would have, this was me solo. Steve, Steve is a science fiction guy. Mm. He's not a horror guy. Okay. Uh, so no, this was, this was all me. And, and, was uh, it- and I remember it was, it was two nights. Cause I remember going to school after the first night and everybody was going, oh, did you see, did you see Sam's on? Everybody was freaked out about it. Okay. Um, all right. So yeah, and you, and you know that scene when uh, the little boy floats up to I think the kid's name is Mark when he floats up to his window and he's got his his models there he grabs like a cross I yes. want to say it's maybe the Frankenstein model is in a graveyard and he grabs the little p- plastic cross off the model oh yeah and, and holds uses it. that right and it works yeah it, it was i mean all the way around it was really well done and i i loved uh james mason as the, oh, the human envoy for yeah. the the vampire was the vampire barlow mr barlow i i want to say it was and um yeah he played it really really and he, well and like when he's talking to the priest and he's like oh you can't defeat the master oh yeah he's just like so so awful and creepy you know and and then the vampire i loved how they used the uh nosferatu look for him and and the guy who played the vampire reggie nalder he also played an andorian on star trek oh that's interesting yeah the andorian ambassador huh yeah, that uh, is wanna, familiar. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that movie. I want to say Salem's Lot had to have been sort of a precursor towards like the Lost Boys. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, that was done well. Well, well done too. You Even know, though it, that was not um, Stephen King, but yeah, not directly. But you know, in our Werewolves episode, you talked about the very first werewolf film was a silent film, and uh, there was a gypsy. And I'm just right. wondering the person who actually did. Lon Chaney Jr.'s, it's like, oh, well, I saw this film. It was black and white, and they had a gypsy. Let's put a gypsy in our movie. Yeah. You know, they borrow off of their, uh, as an homage, uh, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, if, if you guys haven't seen uh, Salem's Lot, it's definitely, I know they did a remake in the 90s. Don't they always do that with Stephen <laughs> King stuff? Yeah. They seem to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. And he's usually behind it, too, for some reason. Ah, you know. It's called money. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Um, do you guys know if they did a sequel to uh, David Soul's uh, Salem's No, Lot? but I mean, they definitely left it open. Yeah. I thought maybe they were thinking a series where you'd have David Soul and the kid running around. I thought around so, too, but I, I never vampires, found anything. But, yeah, I don't. They, they never continued it, but mm. it's definitely a classic that lives on today. Well, I, I will say, as someone who has a lot of action figures in his collection, and Bob, as we look around, we see... Uh, all the various figures. Uh, even Karen, I believe, has some hot toys that you may find at deep discounts on eBay these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, before Chucky, there was a little figure 
that was in a, a, a movie called Trilogy of Terror. He, that's right. He Who Kills uh, was the name of this Zuni fetish doll. And it is by far one of my favorite um, uh, movies. And and if, I, if I'm to be honest, I've never watched the first two parts of Trilogy of Terror. I got it on Blu-ray, so I, had, I just sat and watched the whole thing. But yeah, no, I'm, Lieutenant Debbie and I watched... Amelia, the third part last yeah. night, and yeah, I, I love that. I yeah, I, I, Jasmine and I watched it as well, and uh, she's seen it before, and she just loves that. Well, and, and it's you know, a great build-up too, because you see you hear him scampering around, and right. you see him scurry in the shadows, and then finally, when you show it, you know, it's probably just a guy behind the camera holding the doll and shaking it, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's great with it's the teeth effective. and everything, and oh, it's man. fun. Yeah, and, and Karen Black, she does such a good job. Um, you know, it, it just works. It, it's a little campy. Karen, it, yeah, you've seen it, I'm sure, but it, probably it's been oh, a while. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know who directed that? Um, I know it's not Tobe Hooper. Dan Curtis. He actually directed mm-hmm. it. He directed it. The man behind oh. Kolshak the Night Stalker. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it was, he was like yeah. a producer on it. He directed it and an associate producer on that. Yeah. Robert Singer. Really? Who went on to create Supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, I, I, I knew it was based on a, a short story by Richard Matheson, Twilight Zone fame. I, uh, Prey. Prey. Yeah, yeah. It was original. Um. But anyway, the, the, if you get a chance to watch this, I highly recommend it. Loved it so much, I actually uh, watched uh, Trilogy of Terror 2, made for television anthology. And this was done in 1996. Wow. So it's meant to be a direct sequel to the first 1970s. But. The apartment didn't look the same, you know. It's Did like, they do the whole Zuni doll thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. Really? So I uh, gotta look this up. That, I, I can loan it to you if you want. Um, but the mother is dead. Um, Karen ends up killing herself, or she's dead somehow, some way. Well, spoiler alert: at the end of the Amelia, the the seventies one, uh-huh. she's like crouched down. She invites her mother over for the night, and she crouches down. And she's like stabbing the big knife into the floor. Then she like the camera pans in and or zooms in on her, and she like smiles and she has the Zuni teeth. And right. Yeah, it freaked me out. That was, so do they do they start where that left off, or they start with the boyfriend coming over because she hadn't called him back. Oh, okay. And he calls the police, and so the police are inside the apartment. They show the mother hacked up with a butcher knife or whatever. Um, they then show Amelia, uh, her legs all sliced up from the doll. They find the, the doll inside the oven burnt to a, well, not to a crisp, it's burnt. The hair's gone, it's just the uh, doll itself. Somehow its little robe survived, but anyway. Hmm. Um, they take the doll to a, not an anthropologist, but some specialist at a museum they're afraid that it's a serial killer or something like that, and somehow the doll is attached. They, they do not know that the doll came alive and, and did this. I'm sure they didn't put the chain back around him, right? No, the chain okay. was alongside it with the spear. Yeah. And um, 
Lizette Anthony uh, is is Doctor Simpson or, or Laura, I think, and she works at the at the museum. I have not seen her in anything before or since. Uh, she has a British accent, so maybe she's really big in England. Um, for a no prize, listeners, you can post on Twitter or Facebook if she, uh, you know, has any other claim to fame. But um, so, spoiler alert, Bob. I'm sorry if I'm gonna watch this, but the 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 thing comes back alive. I guess the spirit went back into the doll, and um, the so the doctor's kind of like scratching the surface getting this it's more charred uh, than it is like soot than than it is like burn you know and the outer she she makes a comment that it's almost as if the wood is re um reanimating itself you know the finish is coming back she scrapes the eyes and they turn red so the thing comes alive again in the museum and it's smarter and faster than the first one there's a, a history anthropology exhibit downstairs, and there are these um, native uh, people with uh, bows and arrows. And he actually is able to push or pull the bow back and spear one of the guards. Uh, gets a knife, chops her up. Long story short, instead of an oven, she throws it in some acid, and it it bubbles and blah 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 blah. blah. And uh, stupidly, she opens it and the thing jumps at her out of the acid. And it ends with her smiling with a knife with the teeth and her boyfriend coming to pick her up. So uh, as far this as I'm going to have to see. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, this is the last time that he who kills, uh, a.k.a. the Zuni fetish doll, warrior doll, uh, made a screen appearance other than inside the Leaky Tiki, which is my home tiki bar. Now, he sits see, prominently. I've been looking for one for so long, but I really can't pay 350 bucks for it, which is about the going rate on <sighs> eBay these days. Well, I was fortunate. I was with Karen at Monster Palooza one year. And I, Karen, I don't I don't know if you recall how oh, badly. Yes, I do, you, you were like pacing back and yes. forth trying to make up your mind. <laughs> I, you know, I, I want to say it was like 150 or something like that. Oh, I would jump on that in a second. You know, back then I was like, and the guy's like, oh, this is the Comic-Con version in San Diego. The eyes glow in the dark. The normal ones, you know, it doesn't glow. And I went back and forth like two or three times. And finally I'm like, ah, well. and, uh, you know, yeah, I'm glad I did. Man, I'll tell you. If any listeners want to take pity on Chief Engineer <laughs> Bob and sell him a Zuni fetish doll for 150 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, has to be the Comic Con version with the glow no, no, and the no. light eyes. Just even the oh, regular, the regular one. one. Any, any of them. Yeah, just gotcha. 150 bucks. I'll pay 150 bucks for the first Zuni fetish doll that comes my way. Um, yeah, he would definitely have a good home. So I, I, I post the picture on on Facebook of the the doll up in the tiki bar, and uh, my wife's like, "Oh, I, I didn't know you had one of those." And, like, yeah, he's in the corner. He watches you. And she's like, uh, the chain's on his waist, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, she said, take a closer look. And they come <laughs> in Yeah. But anyway, if you guys get a chance to watch uh, either one of those trilogies of terror, at least the Zuni uh, Warrior, it's it's a lot of fun. And well, it's, you, can, you can watch, if you look up on YouTube, you can mm. find just the Amelia episode okay. by itself on YouTube okay. and watch it. Yeah, a lot of fun. Like I said, that was before Chucky. That was, you know, 
and, and it does kind of have like a little Twilight Zone tinge of it, but I think that was Matheson, uh, you oh, know, definitely. his story. So the ironic yes. ending. Completely, yeah. That it was really, really uh, good. And as far as TV movies go, you're not really going to top that one. No, no. That that that's yeah. You know, Salem's Lot. I, I really did enjoy. Like I said, a little slow start, but it it ended. I liked the the beginning and the end. How it like really yeah. complemented each other. But the Zuni, yeah, good twenty minutes. Boom. Well, so you you mentioned that to anyone, and they if they've seen it, they immediately know what you're talking about. Right. They immediately have all these memories of it. Mm. Well, look, folks, um, any last words on 70s um, uh, movies of the week, uh, Karen or Bob? Well, I just think there's a lot of hidden gems oh, yes. to those, those movies. You know, if you go into it with an open mind, uh, you know, make some popcorn, sit down in a, a dark room <laughs> at night, throw uh, one of these guys on. And uh, you'd be surprised how uh, creepy and scary they can be. Um, yeah, just that. I think I think there's some some real good ones out there, and just mm. you know, go out, do some searches, and uh, you know, if you're lucky, you may be able to find them somewhere on streaming, maybe a halfway viewable copy on YouTube, uh, <laughs> and uh, check them out. There's some real good ones out there. Definitely, and like Karen said, opening the show, we're scratching the surface barely barely there there's a lot of good ones out there um so if you guys want to share on uh, facebook or twitter some gems that uh you remember uh watching back in the day or maybe recently discovered go ahead and let us know and we'll take a look at those and, and we can have a little conversation on that but we're at that point in the show where it's time for our sensor sweep and this episode's sensor sweep is uh going to chief engineer bob bob take it away please yes I will add, though, before I jump into the sensor sweep, yes, that uh, you know, if you if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, or if you, uh, I think you can, they have a Roku channel and a YouTube channel, uh, Creature Features with Vincent Van Dahl. Mm. They've been showing a lot of old TV movies. That's oh. a lot of this, Crowhaven Farm, Satan's School oh. for ch- for Girls, mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, they've been showing quite a few of them, so. Uh, you can look back in their archives and, and find some cool stuff. Cool, yeah. Tom Worsh and uh, Vincent Van Dahl have been, I think mainly Tom has been digging all those up. Yeah, Tom's a good friend so. of the show. So, yeah, give him, a, give him a look and see. All right. So, sensor sweep time. If you were at your local Walmart lately and it hasn't been cleaned out by some <laughs> eBay shoppers or toy hoarders, uh, you may have seen... The Iron Giant and Robbie the Robot sitting on the shelves. It's an exclusive Walmart deal between Walmart and Goldlock Toys over in Hong Kong. Now, Goldlock Toys mainly made their name by making little electronic games for kids. But they suddenly got these licenses and they were able to do a, an, Iron Rob- an Iron Giant and Robbie the Robot. And uh, they're just amazing. 19... 19- the simple price of nineteen ninety five. They're yours, and they walk, they talk, they light up, they little parts move, and they have dialogue from the movies. Actually, Iron Giant just does one thing: it makes a bunch of noises and just goes, "I'm Superman." It was about my best Vin Diesel Iron Giant impersonation. But, um, but Robbie, check this out. I've got him right here on Planet Eight. 
I'm going to press the button and listen to what Robbie says while he's walking and twisting and turning. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And unlike the Zuni fetish warrior, he will not wake up and kill you at night. Well, he may wake up, but he'll just like serve you a drink or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, 1995. You can't beat the price. And these things are about a foot tall. Um, very cool. And uh, I'm hoping that they are able to come out with more. Yeah. You know, maybe the Lost in Space robot or something else. But um, we've we've bought these, these in the past cool. from different companies and paid an arm and a leg, right? Well, not and, these and exact ones, but... No, yeah, but they yeah. don't move and stuff. I mean, just plastic. It's like 50 bucks. This yeah, is yeah. very reasonable. And it looks very good. And it is. And I have been in in talks with Goldock Toys because I couldn't find Robbie anywhere. Mm. And they've offered to send me one. So wow. um, a big thanks to Goldlock Toys. And I'll quiz them a little bit and see if I can find out if uh, they have any other robots coming out. But... Um, yeah, unfortunately, like I say, unfortunately, they're an exclusive at Walmart. Yeah. Unless you want to buy them for two, three times the price on eBay. But that's sad. I hate um, that. Yeah, I mean, there aren't any Walmarts very close to Planet Eight, so it's kind of hard to yeah. to get out to one, and especially when you have other people hoarding them and picking them all up. It's like it's a crapshoot. Yeah. You know, I was able to find an Iron Giant, um, a friend Barbara out in Wyoming actually found a Robbie and sent it to me. So I had to get, I had to go all the way to freaking Wyoming to get Robbie. Well, you, you should have had me. Jay picked one up for me in San Leandro. Yeah, well, I so. went to San Leandro. I went to Union City. I went to... It was uh, at Davis Street. The one is by Rasputin's as well. Nothing. No. All cleared out. Wow. So, anyway. Um, yeah, those definitely... You want to check them out? We'll post pictures. Yes. Maybe we'll put up a little video or something and you can check them out. And uh, <clears throat> an honorable mention, I must say, I'm not a big Funko Pop guy. Mm. But I got to say, they just came out with a series of Speed Racer Funko Pops that are just freaking amazing. <laughs> you've got Speed in the Mach 5. You've got Racer X. You've got Speed Racer. And talk about a geekgasm. They have Nightmare Speed. Oh, wow. From the uh, the world's greatest race, um, where he's racing against the car acrobatic team. And it's a rainy night, and Trixie's sleeping, and she has a dream where Speed pulls up in the Mach 5, and he gets out of the car with his back to her. And she runs up to him, Speed, Speed. And he turns around, and he's a demon. And, I'm not Speed. <laughs> that freaked me out as a kid. Well, they did a figure of a pop of that nightmare speed hmm. that just, as soon as I saw that, take my money. Here you go. I don't <laughs> care how much it is. Give it to me. So honorable mention to Funko for coming up with some cool speed racer pops. Cool. Well, before we leave. Yes, sir. I've got a couple things to talk about. All right. Really briefly. One, 
since this episode comes out on March 8th, mm. Planet 8 is up for a Rondo Award. So please go oh, to yeah. Rondo Award, rondoaward.com. Yes. Or there's a uh, email address you can go to, and I'm sure Karen will post it in the I notes. Will. And please vote for Planet 8 as your favorite. They call it multimedia website, but it's basically all the podcasts thrown into a category. Right. Um, really proud to be nominated for our first time. Very, very thankful. Also, yes, we're my thankful other, to the listeners. Yes. Yeah. Also, my other uh, page, Sci-Fi Japan, is up for best website. So uh, please vote for that as well. And uh, finally, since this is March 8th, on March 14th, 15th, my group Bay Area Film Events is having an anime weekend over at the Balboa Theater. So mm. not to take up too much of your time, but if you're into Japanese animation, anime, whatever, uh, just go to bayareafilmevents.com slash animazing, A-N-I-M-E-Z-I-N-G, and uh, all the details will be there. Thank you. Dun-dun-dun. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Yeah.